Well, today I want to talk about some things I've been looking at in my personal morning Bible time. And I want to focus on this question. What is God's view of himself? And how does that relate to us? Um, I hope we can see the answer to that question by looking at the subheading or title for today's talk, and that is A Marriage Made in Heaven. And why is it important that we know how God views us and himself? Well, I think one reason is because the world is always trying to spin its view of God and man upon us all the time. And just as we're transformed into the same Im image of God from one degree of glory to another, um, we, when we look at God's glory with unveiled face, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, in a similar way, when we see the world and hear their views on God and us, and when we do that with an unveiled face, when we don't veil out the world, then we begin to believe like the world. Moses is a great example for us in Exodus 34 when he um, went before the Lord. He would remove his veil, the Bible says, and he spent time with God. And uh, he would come down and tell the people the exact words that God told him to tell them. He would not veil out God's words. And um, he kept his veil off and they could see that his skin had been transformed. And is shown. And then when he went back into the world, he put his veil back on. And that's the way we need to be. We need to veil out the world. Otherwise, we are going to begin to think like the world. And uh, believe our purpose is the same purpose that the world believes their purpose is. That it's all about them. And first, a brief view of how the world views God and man. I, I think Brad Pitt can help us out with this. Brad and I have a number of things in common. Um, we were both born in Shawnee, Oklahoma. We were both brought up as Southern Baptists. We both played the guitar. Brad was named the sexiest man alive by People Magazine twice. And uh, that's one thing that we don't have in common. Um, but I want to highlight one thing about Brad, and that he is he left his childhood faith because um, it bothered him that God says, you have to say that I'm the best. And this is a common objection uh, from the world toward Christianity. They don't like it that God says he's the best. But, you know, it, I mean, it's not really surprising. That's the same objection Lucifer or Satan gave to God. He didn't like it that God said he was the best in heaven. And he rebelled. He wanted glory equal to God's. And then when he came to earth, that was the first temptation he gave to Eve that she could be like God and that God had lied to her. And so she, it could be all about her all of a sudden, you know. And that's the same temptation he gives to us on a regular basis. Um, in ourselves, we're no better than Brad or, or Eve or Adam or anyone. We, we want it to be about us, and, you know, that starts early in life when we're born. But as believers, Christ is always bringing us back to him in a circle of repentance. Now, if I get nothing else across in today's uh, word, it, 
for you to take home for yourself and your, your children and your spouse is this. God created us in a fashion so that we will find fulfillment and have the greatest joy when our view of God agrees with his view. When we see him as our greatest treasure, worth forsaking all for, uh, then in our joy we leave it and we go to our treasure, him. So, so uh, now a marriage made in heaven. Let's read a couple verses to start with. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, Paul's, he's quoting this first verse, he's quoting Genesis, God speaking in Genesis. Um, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. 32, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So you may notice that Paul says how Christ and the church are not the metaphor, but they are the real marriage. And our earthly marriages are to emulate his relationship to us in marriage. And uh, and so he and his and the church are the real thing. All right. Sometimes we get that backwards, I think. So the marriage time timeline we're going to look at, and we'll try to touch on most of these things, depending on time. I think I'm going to have to cut some of it out. But um, first, the Father chooses us to be in his family. Then he gives us a way to be betrothed and then to be married to his son. And there's a marriage ceremony and uh, he beautifies us, lavishes us with gifts forever. And we share his glory as the bride of the King of Kings. And we're within the family of God now. And uh, even with all that, here's the point. Overall, it is ultimately, foundationally, at its core, all for his glory. And that's what brings us joy. All right, let's begin with the program. Um, Let's get with it. Let's see, number one, I would say God chooses us, the Father chooses us. In some cultures, parents still choose their, their children who, who they will marry in advance, right? And in a similar way, the Father chooses us to be in his family beforehand, to be a bride for his son. So Ephesians 1.4 is speaking of the Father, and it says this, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God's word settles it right there. It's uh, preemptively resolved beforehand. It will happen. One day we will stand before the Father blameless as a part of his family. And um, Philippians 1, 6 agrees. Um, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, just a word about the doctrine of election. Being chosen may set uneasy with you. It has with me. I was thinking, um, as a kid, I remember coming home in a car with my parents and coming back from the pizza place. They had picked up a pizza, and I hated the smell of pizza, and I hated pizza. And all a lot of the way back, maybe all the way back in the car, I held, I rolled down the window and held my head outside 
because I didn't want to breathe the same air as the pizza. I didn't know what was all on pizza. Uh, you know, I knew there was mushrooms on the one my mom liked, and I didn't know if I liked the mushrooms. I didn't think I did. <clears throat> they were ugly, and uh, I didn't know what those red things, those round things were, or those uh, green long things were, and uh, I didn't know what kind of sauce was on it. Uh, I really didn't think I liked tomatoes. I was really finicky, and uh, and I just made up my mind I didn't like it, and I... I made up my mind I didn't like the smell. So after a while, I found out what was actually on pizza. And I tasted it, and I chewed it, and I savored it. And the next thing you know, I loved pizza. And guess what? The smell became awesome. So, <laughs> you know, in a similar fashion, there was a time when God choosing us, not based on our own will, um, our own selfish, self-centeredness, uh, you know, it made me uneasy that I was not the one that chose God, but he chose me. And when someone talked about that, I held my head out the window a lot. But one day I began to actually look at it and what God says about it. I chewed on it and savored it and tasted it. And today I love it. And it smells awesome. So if you're having any tension with election, I would, I would say hang in there and uh, don't hold your head out the window. Don't look away, but just um, you know, trust God uh, to show you the truth because he says if we seek, we will find. So that's a guarantee we have. Um, but, but anyway, to move along, the Father chose us, and that being said, we're still responsible to turn to Christ and believe and have affections. Uh, election does not take away that responsibility, and therein lies the tension. However, even when He chooses us, He also quickens us. To He quickens our will. Philippians two thirteen. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So God chooses us and conforms our sinful, self-centered will, and it. It's for his delight. Ultimately, it's all about him. Um, Ephesians 1 goes on to, to see how we are going to eventually stand before the Father, blameless. It'll be through Jesus. And, and then in verse 6, it says, um, the end result of, of all that will be to the praise of his glorious grace. All the things God does for us. And he repeats that in verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. And so foundationally, in keeping with our subject today, uh, at his core, the Father chose us ahead of time to the praise of his glorious grace. And um, so uh, number two, um, the Father chose us. And since we're now secured by the Father to be in his family, the Father gives us to the son to for betrothal. Uh, in Israel, a marriage used to start with a betrothal. It's, uh, it's kind of like being uh, you know, uh, engaged, but it's ser more serious than that. Uh, it, it included a legal binding contract, a commitment that sealed the marriage beforehand. And I believe that's what the father did. He gave us to the son for a betrothal first, guaranteeing the marriage to come. He did this essentially because he loves the Son, 
Yes, God does love us, but Jesus is the primary focus of his love. And we can see this, I think, in John's prayer, Jesus' prayer to the Father in John chapter 17. The whole chapter is a, a prayer from God to God and through God. And uh, it's, it's a, the Trinity, I believe. And, but he speaks about how we were first the fathers and then were given to the Son. And this all happens before the marriage. All right, Verse 6, John 17. Uh, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, Jesus says. Verse 11, which you have given me. And 12, which you have given me. 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's about, you see, the focus is on the glory of Jesus, that it may be seen by the bride-to-be. And then, um, if you see that word because, that comes right before the objective subject of the sentence, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So, again, though the bride is loved deeply and blessed, Jesus is the ultimate object of who is being loved. All things are for his glory. So, um, number three, now there is a big problem that I see. We, as the bride of Christ to be, are sinners. We've turned away from God. We're repulsive to look at. Um, not a good bride for Jesus. How could we possibly be chosen for God's glory and the glory of the Son? Um, we have pimples and wrinkles of all, all kinds. We are ugly in sin. How can we ever be good enough to be in his family, to be accepted? Um, and so the very next day after Jesus prays his prayer to the Father in John 17, he goes to the cross to make his bride beautiful and holy, uh, to, to be paid her wages for her sins, and to give her his righteousness uh, full acceptance and access to his fellowship. And, you know, fellowship and acceptance are, are two great things that we all need in marriage today. Those things are essential. All right, communication. I think Ephesians 5 brings this into light. Um, although Paul is teaching truths about marriage between a man and a woman, uh, it points to the truth in the reality of the relationship between Jesus and us, his bride. Ephesians 5, 25, um, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus went to the cross to remove our spots and take away our wrinkles and what bribe would not be uh, loved to have an eternal makeover, right? And then she's beautiful for who? For her husband. And she has, she's good enough with the righteousness of Jesus to be in his family and to stand before the Father even. And it's all for the one who is best, our groom, our husband, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's all for his glory. Um, number four, so other than, and we're getting close, I'm going to skip some of the steps here. Other than the amazing things we've already talked about, what do we get 
for being the bride of the King of Kings? Um, probably a lot, right? I mean, we are the bride of the King of Kings. Ephesians 3.8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that can begin right now. But unsearchable doesn't mean that we'll never find them, no matter how hard or how long we search for them. But rather it means we cannot exhaust them. All things are ours. There will be always more riches for us in Christ because we are the King of Kings' bride. And it makes Him happy to give us these riches. And He is glorified in doing so. So, um, the same principle applies to us in marriage, even uh, with our spouses today. You know, like when a wife loves her husband exceedingly, and when she sees him exalted, it brings her joy. And God created us in a fashion so that when Christ is held high, we have exceeding joy. Now, I believe that's, that's how it is for Christians and that's why that if you're persecuted for Christ, if you're killed for Christ even, if, if you're killed and persecuted for praising Jesus, for uplifting Jesus, for exalting Jesus, you can't help but have great joy while you do it because that's the way God created us. All right, well, you know, Brad Pitt was right about, in closing, was right about one thing. God says he is the best. And the beautiful thing is that um, when we agree with him and we see him as he is, as our best and our greatest treasure, then his goodness, his righteousness, becomes good news for us and good news for our sin. And we have peace with God. So, um, you know, I, I hope that you can take uh, some of this today and just begin to internalize the fact that it's all for God. It's all for Jesus. He chose us, and he's going to bring us all the way through. Every single thing that happens to us in our life, whether it seems good or it seems bad, um, he does it for his own glory and for our good. We can trust him that he's bringing us um, where he wants us to be. And one day, because of Jesus and all he's done for us, because of his great love for us, he's, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because of Jesus, we'll stand blameless before God. And it will be for his glory. And i close with a couple verses, Revelations 19.7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And then verse 9 talks about the marriage feast to follow. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God.